For some weeks now, we've been listening to some episodes of my book, Cuckoo. But now I've decided that crime waits for no man and we're going back to our regular crime stories. But have no fear, we will be coming back to Cuckoo because we have to get to the end of the story and that would be at least two more episodes. From time to time, listeners, you will hear bleeps. They are very necessary because otherwise we could be sued or perhaps shot. He said, why don't we put Kid in the boot of a car, drive him to this crook with another undercover. The other undercover can shoot him with blanks. What I found was at at stations, there was uh, corruption, of course, back in the 80s and 90s. But the drug squad seemed where it was the minority at uh, uniform stations. It was the majority at the drug squad. Well, you'd never run into a place on a raid with your finger on the trigger. I'm Andrew Rule. This is Life and Crimes in 2020. And this year we're going to have a series of interesting people who have done interesting things. The first of them is a fellow I've known for many years. He uses the name sometimes Damien Marrett. He's otherwise known as The Kid. And he got the name The Kid in the Victoria Police Drug Squad. Tell us why. Damien? Uh, pretty much uh, the obvious reason. Uh, one, because I looked a lot younger than the other guys that were at the drug squad. How old were you? Um, I think I got there in uh, 1990, so I was 23. Right, that so is I, young. I just finished four years in the police force. So I was still called a detective constable when I first went there, which yep. is unheard of nowadays. I think it takes eight to 12 years to become a detective nowadays and, yeah. and back then. But I was lucky. They saw something in me, I suppose, and I ended up at the drug squad. What was that? You were very young. Yes. You are uh, uh, at that stage a boyish-looking blonde-haired bloke who probably didn't look like other people's version of a flat-foot copper. No. Is that I'll, true? Is that is that what happened? Yeah. So I wasn't the typical copper-looking uh, type. I wasn't... You know, six foot one, moustache, brown hair, medium build. Bad uh, suit. I was slim, blonde, surfy looking, young, yeah. and, you know, a bit of a smart ass. So, you know, my personality sort of didn't fit in with the, uh, you know, say nothing type uh, coppers that you, yep. you've all come across. Yep. Good point. And someone saw that early. Yeah. So I went there on to Conman originally and uh, they pretty much handpicked me and said, you know, we want you to do undercover work. And that's how I got uh, so quickly, uh, or it became so quick that I became a detective. Yeah. Because they took me on the pretext that I would be an undercover. Right. So, which I didn't want to do. You know, it scared the hell out of me. I was, uh, even though outwardly I was quite extroverted and uh, I didn't appear shy, I was yeah. quite shy and, you know, did have a lot of self-confidence issues and things like that. So... For me to go out and uh, be chatting with crooks who, basically, I didn't know, you know, Jack about, uh, about that. the criminal world to that extent. I was just a uniformed copper. And so. what, where had you worked, you know, in that four years? What sort of work had you done? Yeah, so I started at Reservoir, just general duties, yeah. uh, uniform. Went to Russell Street, did all the Russell Street things and found myself on the steps of Parliament House most days as punishment. For what? Well, whenever you did something wrong or you sort of got out of line, you ended up on Parliament steps, you know, overnight. And you were uh, considered somewhat of a troublemaker? Yeah. It was never never anything illegal. It was all just a little bit 
as I said, I was a smart ass all my life. Yeah. And, you know, I'd have a, a talk back and, you know, I might disappear for a couple of hours and have a lunch in the middle of, a, you know, foot patrols and things like that. So, oh, right. you know, I wouldn't cut my hair all the time. It was always long. So, you know, I came under the intention of, you know, bosses. And so who decided that instead of giving you more punishments or persuading you to leave the job, they thought, let's exploit this young scallywag with the blonde hair. Whose idea was that? Yeah, look, at that time, it wasn't so much that, um, you know, there was a a reason to get rid of me or anything. Like, uh, my work was still good. It was just a a little bit different. If you you say so yourself. Well, yeah. (laughs) Well, I I just wasn't conforming the way that most coppers usually conform. So... You know, and then I went out to Box Hill uniform, and mm. then when I got to the drug squad, they pulled me aside and said, this is our plan for you. And, you know, I said yes, because it meant getting a detective spot um, much quicker than anybody else. So, you know, I said yes, thinking, well, once I get there, they can't do anything about it. But they sent me on the course, and uh, next thing you know, I've done The course being the... Undercover course. Undercover course, yep. okay, yeah. At a very secret location. It's an um, undercover location? Well, it's actually a uh, government prohibited sort of uh, secrecy thing. Yeah, yep. of course. So somewhere in Victoria. Yeah, so we, we actually do work with the other agencies like yeah. ADO and things like that at very the good. time. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it was all hush-hush. Spend any time with the kangaroos on uh, Yeah, my <laughs> boss, you know, remember Bob Armstrong. I do. Yeah, he killed Titbits that was a kangaroo down there. How did that happen? You know, look, there was no coppers or anything, so it was everyone was drinking, and he was reversing out one late one night at this place, and uh, he killed Titbits. There oh. was a much loved uh, kangaroo on uh, oh, this place. How very sad. Mm. Um, but he was a train killer, so yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> don't know. <laughs> I, I always saw him as a big cuddly <laughs> bear, you know. Yeah. So. Well, that's an insight no one else has ever shared with us. <laughs> the fate of Titbit. Yep. And so uh, after all these secret squirrel stuff, you yep. start work at the drug squad, which was, when you started, was in... Uh, Russell Street. It was in Russell so, Street. Yeah. Was it? So, oh, yeah. Okay. So I, I did, uh, started undercover at Russell Street at the drug squad. The, the drug squad back then was sort of split up into one sergeant and four crew. And yeah. the crew were senior detectives. So... Yeah. You know, and there'd be uh, probably throughout the drug squad, 20-odd crews. Oh, okay. Basically, you know, to come in there as a pretty, uh, without much experience other than general duties, you know, driving the divisional van around. Uh, You're 23. I'm 23 years old, and suddenly uh, the doors open to a whole different life. It is. uh, it, it didn't take long to realise that things were done a lot differently in the drug squad or the squads even than what I could have imagined. Yeah, what, what was something that you sticks in your memory as this is not uh, standing on the steps of Parliament House? This is very different. Uh, well, I think in- I realised very quickly how unaccountable squad members were back then. The level that uh, people were allowed to basically do whatever they want. You know, as long as they're not uh, shooting somebody out in the street, they they didn't appear answerable to anybody. And it was sort of like a game of chess where the the most elaborate plan, whether it be to do with corruption or, or catching a crook, was considered uh, somewhat of a, a game or a status, you yeah. know. And, 
you know, through that first sort of crew that I worked on, you you know, obviously opened up to all the other crews at the drug squad. Right. And you realised that it's pretty much the same with every crew. So you were getting... What I found was at, a, at stations, there was uh, corruption, of course, back in the 80s and 90s. But the drug squad seemed where it was the minority at uh, uniform stations. Yeah. It was the majority at the drug squad. bit tricky when you're 23 to, well, fit, to sort of fit in. Yeah. and uh, There'd be tests. There'd be some sort of test there was. to make sure that you're not going to just holler for the marshal. Mm. Um, and, and look, you, what you've got to realise really mm. is... You know, you've got all these young guys coming into these squads and things, yeah. and basically you've got the majority of people showing you a certain way to do things. Yep. If you didn't conform to their ways, if they thought that they couldn't trust you, yeah. you wouldn't get any good jobs. You wouldn't get any privileges at the drug squad. You'd basically be an outcast. So yeah. so whether or not you wanted to become corrupt or not wasn't the question. Yeah, yeah. It was how you fit in. You know. Survival. So you learn, well yeah. I learned very quickly, it's a balancing act. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I'm not gonna be one that stands up and says, no. Hey, this is all wrong. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna blow the the whistle on all this yeah. because where would I be? I yeah. would have uh, left the, the job straight away because, yeah. you know, we saw in um, Windows 94 with all the shutters. Yeah. Whether it was Windows 94 or 95 or 96, what it was was a, an organised racket where uh, police were getting kickbacks for shutter services when windows were broken on shop fronts. And, of course, naturally they started to break the windows. Um, Conrad, the guy who yes. uh, was the whistleblower, yeah. his life was destroyed after that. Yeah. And it was just, uh, he was um, targeted by copper after copper. He you was, know. wasn't he? Yeah. Can you recall anything about him? Is it true that he had a sister that was a policewoman? I don't recall. Okay. Um, and I don't know whether it was because uh, back then, um, you know, whether he was gay or not. I recall that everyone believed he was. And that might have been, you know, coppers mouthing off his yeah. whatever. Yeah. But, you know, that was pretty serious because, you know, my first um, touch on corruption yeah. at uniform level, even yeah. in my first year, yeah. Yeah. was the, the boss of my station coming down and giving me a, an envelope because I'd rung the right shutter service, oh, right. Know, which I had no clue. It was just a card that was in my police folder. Which is, uh, <laughs> all know, right. So, yeah. yeah and, <laughs> you know, there's $50 in, a, in an envelope. And that was pretty much what happened right across the board. Which, of course, led, as some of our listeners may recall and others won't, yep. it led to a lot of windows being broken. Well, see, that's the problem. Money attached to broken windows. Yep. Guess what happens? Yeah. Well, you know, it's the next step in the... It's not just, oh, I'll get a bit of a kickback. It's like, oh, I'll create some money. We, and we'll I'll go out brick. and, you know, I'll either get a crook to smash all the windows along High Street or I'll smash a couple myself on night shift and yeah. uh, ring the right people. And as you know, by the time it got into the mid-90s when it was all exposed... They were getting a hell of a lot more than $50, you know, and they were breaking the windows themselves. But the biggest problem is those sergeants and senior sergeants that were going out and interviewing the uh, the coppers yeah. at the stations yeah. that were pointed out as the people who had received money, yeah. some of them had been involved in it themselves and actually given the people that they were interviewing 
uh, the envelopes. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, well, that'd be interesting because so, they, they'd know all about yeah. – uh, so no saint like a sinner turned, as no. my grandmother used to yeah. say. Well, how could you find – Had they converted or were they really – No, they hadn't converted. They just got, got a job to be given and uh, the best way to cover yourself is to be the one looking at you. Oh, you know, yeah. So, and it's the same as internal affairs. You know, is that right? During the 90s, the, you know, internal affairs or ESD or, yeah. you know, IID or B11, whatever you want yeah, to call them. All those. You know, a lot of guys escape from the posse by joining, joining um, the posse. ESD. That's and, very uh, that way, yeah. everything in their past was wiped. Plus, they were going there to get promotion. So that's the other part of why the 90s was so corrupt because you had people around you all pulling you into this um, system. Mm. You had no accountability. You had everyone who would back you up, but you also had the people that were there to look at the coppers that were part of the giggle in the first place. Yeah. So how are you ever going to get caught? And you know, A very interesting yeah. uh, scenario. And, of course, it's given us some marvellous things uh, in a dramatic sense. Like you Yeah, know, it's uh, probably made the whole police force hate me. But <laughs> yeah. and, and the odd other one. So give us an idea of what it was like to go on that first undercover job. Yeah, look, I did a, a couple of little ones before I went down and got trained. I think it was just them testing me out. But pretty much my first job went from a, a phone call. Charlie Paddy was the crook. A phone call to Charlie Paddy asking for five pounds of grass. And that job turned into a million and $65,000 show job. So uh, a buy bust is when, yeah. you know, we say that we're going to pay all this money for, yeah. for a certain amount of drugs and uh, we turn up with the money yeah. and then we arrest them. So yeah. the money doesn't go anywhere, but we had to show them a million and 65,000. Interesting uh, proposition, mm. given you've got to actually get a million in real cash. Yeah. Real cash. Well, if we did There's no fake cash in there? No, no. It's all real. From the, it was from the National Australia Bank, actually, because I went down to help get it. But the problem was, the job was supposed to be done on the Wednesday. Now, I got phone calls because it was delayed till the Thursday or Friday, or, and people around me, got, the bosses got phone calls saying, hey, you, this job has to be done straight away because that money we need to pay all the overtime and allowances for other detectives. Oh. So we haven't got any budget left if you don't do this job straight oh, away. Oh, so it was police force money. Yeah. It wasn't borrowed no, for no, the day from the bank. It comes from our budget and gets put back in. Yeah. yeah. So if anything goes wrong, it's... Oh. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> yep. Oh, well, that's very interesting. So, mm. the, so the very, really dangerous undercover procedure has to proceed uh, not at its natural speed, mm. dictated by crooks and undercovers... Yep. But by the uh, accountants who say, we need it by four o'clock to pay the overtime. Exactly. Is and that right? So and is that what happened? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sitting there with the, one of the crooks that it turned into, uh, Matteo Meducci, who's a really good name up in uh, Mildura, the Meducci's. Yeah. And um, he... Uh, Has he got w- any form? Has he done yeah, any well, jail? Yeah, he went to trial for shooting his dad with a shotgun. Excellent. Dead. Excellent. And that was... Uh, 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 who hasn't done that? Yeah, well, he got off because he pleaded his IQ 
was under a certain amount, which made him oh, too oh, simple uh, to face idiot. charges. Okay, I see. Which was, he could load a shotgun, but that's yeah. all. Yeah. Total crap. But yeah. it was all for standing in the mafia, you know. So, so I'm sitting there telling him, no, no, we've got to do this tonight. We've got to do it. And he's, you know, mouthing off because he was, he was out there, this guy. And uh, I f***ing shot my father with a shotgun. I f***ing do you. Don't you f- push me you know and uh, you know all I'm thinking is guys have to be paid <laughs> yeah so I didn't really care about his um, antics it was more Fuck, how do I make him do this you yeah, know, so, right. so and what did happen? Well, it was funny because we ended up doing it. It was at the uh, Apex Caravan Park in Mildura, oh, uh, right on the river. That's where all the stars yeah. stay. <laughs> yeah. Well, the SOG came out and uh, they said in the briefing the night before, if you hear a shot... Okay, yeah. hit the ground because we're coming out shooting. Mm. We know something you don't. Mm. So anyway, it was, uh, and I'll put him in, Damien, who's a good mate of mine, but uh, he jumped out of the SOG van and he had his finger on the trigger. So he's let off a shot. So all oh. the crooks have pulled out their guns and they're throwing them in the water oh. and I'm throwing this. Did he accidentally let Yeah, it was accidental. Because when you have your finger on a trigger, mm. the tendency is for the reflex action. Mm. That's very tricky. Yep. Very dangerous. Well, that's why you'd never... Most people that handle guns have accidentally fired one. Yeah. Well, you'd never run into a place on a raid with your finger on the trigger. No. It's on the side and it's straight. Got it, yeah. And it goes on the trigger when you're pretty much going to shoot. But sometimes that can get lost in the translation. Yeah. Uh, He probably didn't do that again. Uh, Well, I believe he had to to mine something in the middle of the bush for about a week or something. (laughs) So... (laughs) So the... The shot goes off. Yep. The crooks are throwing their guns in the water. Yep. Which is good, rather yep. than pointing them at you. And what happened? What were you doing? Did you oh, pull I, a gun out and throw it in the water? No, I, I didn't have a gun. Oh, um, that was good. The way you went in there yeah. naked. <laughs> oh, well, you know. It's um, but um, I, I threw. We had the old mobile phones, the first ones, the yeah. big box. Yeah. It was. I thought Under I was the brick. pretty cool. Mm. <laughs> um, but I've thrown that in the air, and that was rented. So that smashed, which the bosses weren't happy about. And <laughs> Really? Yeah. Oh. Um, you can't get away with anything, you know. Yeah. So, you know, like on that, you know, there was a job I was going to do in the middle of the bush one night on Boxing Day. Yeah. And I'm standing at the drug squad and we knew the crooks had booby-trapped this whole crop. Yeah. And the crook that was taking me there believed I was another crook. Yeah. But he said, oh, They'll uh, uh, sweep your car and you and all that. So you couldn't have any devices. Or yeah, anything. yeah, yeah. So middle of the night, walking into this bush. Anyway, It's so good that I, he warned you about all that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, crooks help out crooks. Yeah, know, yeah. So, But uh, one of the bosses said to me, and I'm not going to say his name because he'd no. probably be embarrassed about it. Possibly. Well, Damien, what happens, this is a hire car. If they knock you and steal that car... We're going to have to pay until we get it back. Damien, just for our listeners' benefit, when he said, if they knock you, he meant if they kill you. Yeah, if I don't come back. That's what he meant. Mm. He was worried about the hire car, the second-hand yeah. Tirana. Because you've got to imagine... The, the Toyota noise, Camry. The budget was so strict, you know, so it was probably on his mind without thinking. Is that know? right? Yeah. yeah and good. I said to him, look, I'm sure my... My mum will give you my super or whatever to pay for that uh, pissy little Toyota. Oh, you very know, good. So, but, and um, that reassured him? Oh, he realised what he said yeah. straight away, you know. Yeah. You oh. know. I had another boss say when there was a bloke offering money to kill me, he said, why don't we put kid in the boot of a car, drive him to this crook with another undercover. The other undercover can shoot him with blanks. 
and I'm standing there. I'm going, I and if he pulls out a gun, it won't have blank. it won't have blank spots. I, d- I don't. I'm, yeah. I'm not surprised that you said that. It would come to my mind. Yeah. It's a very dangerous routine. In fact, I'm not sure that I'd be trusting your mate to get it right. No, no, exactly. You know, so, you know, there was so many things, and I don't blame any of them. I mean, people, you're, you're always um, caught in the middle of all this, um, you know, stuff that's going on, and people just speak. It's sort of like without thinking. Yeah. You know, so they think it's a good idea until they realise, oh, that's probably a bad idea. Did you ever end up in the boot of a car? Uh, no. You didn't? That's good. No. Because I think that wouldn't be yeah. a great experience, even if it's your blokes doing it. Exactly. <laughs> a troubled young woman. Her evil parents. We never had any issues between us. Has justice been done? Uh, I'm in a prison. Join journalist Richard Gilliatt as he delves into one of Australia's most gripping cases... Shadow of Doubt, a new podcast investigation from The Australian. I cannot find one of these allegations that's possible. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. So, um, the Mil- Apex um, caravan park at Mildura, mm. the guns go in the water, the, the mobile phone rented, he's thrown in the air yep. and smashes. What made you throw it in the air? Did you- um. Were you trying I think to make it, was, it look as if you No, were, I think it was just reflex. Oh, well, that's, like oh, that's I, good. I wasn't expecting, you know, gunfire because they said... Well, that would look kosher. You, You'd look as scared of oh, everybody else. I was scared. And then what happened next? Um, oh, everyone got arrested. Um, so you too, they drag yep. you in and make you look like a, yep, a, cl- a clean pinch. Funny again, really. Uh, they dragged me into the police station. I was still cuffed. And you've got to uh, imagine Mildura hated the Meducci's. Hated them yeah. to the point that, uh, you know, of no return. Anyway, so... Mildura Coppers. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm... And, and the citizens, yeah. you know. But um, I'm handcuffed behind my back. Uh, Coach Cody leaves the room to do something. And this is one of your colleagues in the yeah. drugs work. Well, Coach was my controller. Controller. And um, so he's like a cushion between me and the investigators. Right. He takes... <laughs> poor guy takes all the crap and stress and, oh, you right. know, tries to keep me out of it. Anyway, he's left me in the room to go and find keys and uh, two uniform cops have come down oh. and they have come in the room and they're ready to, like, I knew exactly what they were going to do. I was going to get a flogging. Right. And just for being you. Just for being, being uh, allegedly a, a, a Maducci associate. associate. Yep. So, so, you know, thank God coach came back because, you know, I mean. You couldn't really break cover. With well, I would have, uh, if I probably would have, yeah. but then again, you know, I, I, I can't remember, but I didn't know whether I was going to go in the cells with them. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. you know, Very obviously I wouldn't have broken cover if that was no. the plan, but, um, you know, thank God coach came back and, uh, he, the day. what did yeah. he say? Oh, he, he was quite stern with them. <laughs> Wasn't he? Yeah. Stern. Get away from my crook. You know, oh, right. That type okay. of, oh, so it was all... Yeah. I mean, there was a rule in the police force. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you don't touch anybody else's crook. Oh, okay. You know, so. Yeah, yeah, okay. Mm. Uh, and they cop that because they're just mm. local... And they were just uniform. Uniform. I mean, I shouldn't say yeah, that. I know. Yeah. They're not... They're they weren't not, involved in that. They're the, not involved yep. in this. Well, it's interesting. They thought they'd just step out of the corridor and have a, a quick lash. Good old 90s. <laughs> Very interesting. It's a different place, Mildura. Um, I, I, I spoke yep. there recently at a, an event, and um, 
there were certain stories we didn't tell up there. Yeah. Uh, including ones about that family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Funny about that. Yeah. <laughs> Damien, we've talked about some of your time in the force. What have you been doing lately? Uh, you know, look, private investigating, obviously, and um, that can be anything uh, from, you know, historic lo- locates like uh, long lost family, things like that. Uh, it can be, um, you know, investigations into uh, certain things that are happening with uh, corporate clients. Um, you know, across the board, we, I mean, we do pretty much anything. Um, Julia specialises in cyber um this is your uh, your work partner, yeah, Julia Robson. Um, so she set up online investigations quite a while ago. Uh, yeah. I came on board, um, but uh, what I love about it is, in our uh, when it's quieter uh, and in our spare time, we we both uh, you know actively work on cold cases. And um, that can be, uh, look, we, we've started to focus on uh, missing persons where a right. body hasn't been discovered. I um, don't expect you to nominate which cold cases publicly yet. No. For good reasons. Yep. But there, I think there's a couple of quite big ones well known to the public. Look, they are. They're, they're really big cases. And, um, uh, you know, another one involves a, a murder. And, yeah. um, you know, look, that they are great stories. And it's it sort of uh, the amount of work we've put in, we really think they're solvable. Um, right. So we're going to probably keep doing that into the future, quite, you know, uh, quite a lot. With a view, I take it, that they could make, you know, good television or something like that. Yeah, look, I, I think that the television thing's a, a funny thing. Like, obviously, that would be great. But it's also great to get further information. Yeah, you know, so, for its own sake. Yeah, it, it's more about wanting to solve things yeah. and, you know, we get to know the families so, and all that. So, so, Damien, after all these years, you're using your skills for good. Damien, thanks very much for coming in. I hope we can persuade you to come back again. Next time, we will talk about the things that you didn't talk about this time. I look forward to it, Unruly. Thank you. Coming up next week. Well, I had one crook once tell me uh, he had an instinct. He had a gift to tell who was a copper. Oh, right. And uh, that's why we're selling drugs to each other. (laughs) Oh, that's good. He was shot while pruning a peach tree in the orchard within weeks of getting out of jail. Is that right? An orange tree? An orange tree. Uh, Not a peach tree. It's an orange (laughs) tree. And uh, he was pruning it? Yeah, so he was pruning it. There was about 20 workers on the farm. A lot of people there? Nobody saw him. A a hunting rifle or something? A A rifle. Access a world of true crime podcasts on CrimeX Plus, where award-winning journalists take a deep dive into unsolved cases. Every week, we're waking up to a dead woman, a dead mother, sister, auntie, grandmother. It's not good enough. From the team that brought you The Teacher's Pet, Shadow of Doubt, and Dying Rose, unlock early, ad-free, and bonus content from brand new series and flagship shows such as I Catch Killers with Gary Jubilant. One was shot in the mouth, and I thought he was dead. Another one been shot with a shotgun and I got the overspray. Search for Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts to start digging deep into the world of true crime.